Do you let it begin with me? When do you ask yourself, is it worth my serenity? And how do you live and let live? Welcome to episode 235 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Susan, Mary, Nancy, and Debbie. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Susan, Mary, Nancy, and Debbie, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we'd like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me today is Eric. Welcome. Good morning, Spencer. Greetings from Greenwich, Connecticut. A little dreary here today, but uh, be expected. And uh, we we were going to do this show last week, but uh, we had some life intervention, and so here we are this week. So it's good to good to be here. Yep. A while back in episode 131, we talked about some slogans, and today we're continuing that discussion with some more slogans. I'm going to open with a reading. I don't think it's coincidental that it is precisely the reading that we started with back in the other episode. I I thought it might have been, but yeah. I didn't go look, so there we are. Anyway, um, this reading, oh my God, where's it come from? I didn't I didn't get the source. How well it works. I think opens the chapter on slogans, chapter nine. Mm-hmm. Unlike some of Al-Anon's practices and principles that take a while to learn and apply, the Al-Anon slogans are easy to learn and remember. You may have heard some of these slogans hundreds of times before without ever taking them seriously or trying to put them to work. After all, they are cliches and easy to disregard. But it is their very simplicity that makes them so powerful. When confronted with a confusing or upsetting situation, a slogan can be a lifesaver. If we are at a loss for what to do, these simple yet profound sayings can clarify our thinking. For example, when fears about the future cloud our ability to make a pressing decision, we can apply the slogan one day at a time and focus on this day only, remembering that our fears may not reflect reality because the future has yet to be written. When suddenly faced with a complex, seemingly overwhelming problem, we can put first things first, knowing that some actions are more important than others and that we cannot do everything at once. Slogans serve as gentle, calming reminders that our circumstances might not be as impossible or as desperate as they at first appear. These concise expressions of wisdom offer quick reassurance that we are really able to cope with whatever life brings, prompting us to take constructive action and to treat ourselves and others with compassion and respect. Even when we are too new to Al-Anon or too overwhelmed by our circumstances, to recall one of the many Al-Anon principles that may apply, a simple slogan can put the entire situation into perspective. The three slogans that we picked for today, and who knows, we may hit on some others as we're talking, are, let it begin with me, is it worth my serenity, and first things first. Just going back to, first of all, the preamble, if you will, for the slogans, stepping back for that George, for a second, I, I honestly was thinking over the last week, and I did not have a lot of time, as you know, to to prep for this today, but I did a week ago, uh-huh. and then we kind of, <laughs> and then we changed up some slogans. So that's okay. I, I actually think that you know that's sort of appropriate for slogans because, as it says in the reading, 
when you don't have time to yep. think more deeply, sometimes the slogan is just what you need. Sometimes just reach into your pocket and grab a coin. You know, I mean, just it's pocket change. This is the stuff that should be right at our fingertips if mm-hmm. we work this program. And just reading, you know, back on uh, page 65, which is chapter nine in how Al-Anon works, the Al-Anon slogans. First things first is in the second paragraph, and that's one of the ones we were talking about for today. And when suddenly faced with a complex, seemingly overwhelming problem, we can put first things first. Did any of us have that a few years ago? (laughs) I mean, everything seemed overwhelming. Yeah. Everything. Life was a series of overwhelming obstacles, completely out of control. Chaos, you know, confusion. Everything seemed urgent, you know. You know, this this program is about straightening that thinking out and realizing what is important and what is not urgent. You know, the, the saying, not a slogan, I don't think, but it maybe should be, is urgent things are seldom important. Important things are seldom urgent, which means, you know, I can, I, can I break this down? If it really is something that's urgent, you know, someone's hurt, someone needs help, you, you call 911. I mean, but... A lot of the things the alcoholics in our lives make out as urgent are just not. But we bought into it. I bought into it. I responded to her chaos by creating more, making my life unmanageable. Everything was not an emergency, okay? The the dog pooped in the living room. I'm not going to leave work at noon to drive home from New York City to pick it up for you. This is not. This is not an urgent matter. You know, put a bowl over it and I'll get to it when I get home. Or pick it up yourself, <laughs> which happened all the time. That's not. That's not a made-up story. I'd mm-hmm. come home, my my living room looked like the DMZ. I mean, it, it was bowls all over, and because she didn't let the dog out. Anyway, getting sidetracked. And then the last sentence says, <laughs> a "Simple, a simple slogan can put the entire situation into perspective." Really? Wow. If that's true, I'm going to read about these things and I'm going to try to take, pay attention to them because I think I did prepare a little bit by this morning listening back to how when we started and spoke a little bit about the first part of slogans we did a while back. And it, it really is about simplifying our lives, breaking things down into a much more simple you know, I've heard this in, in the rooms so the last couple of weeks. One particular person said about ODAD, he said, you know, that's way too big. One day, one day at a time is way too much for me. Sometimes it is, yeah. One hour. Oh, yeah. One hour is is probably, and sometimes it's a couple of minutes that I need to be present and aware. You know, there's things changing all the time. I got to stay present. It's about being present. So anyway, what was your question? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, as long as Which which one did you want to start with? Um, I, well, we're starting with first things first, I think, aren't we? First things first. uh, Okay. Wow, I heard some things in what you said there. One of the things that I heard that I hadn't thought about it this way before is that somebody else's first thing might not be my first thing. No, oh, yeah. Where you talked about prioritizing your alcoholics' needs ahead of your own. The things that, that they thought were urgent were the things that you felt you had to work on. And I think this slogan challenges me not only to think about what is first, or as I've heard said, maybe not so much in the Al-Anon rooms, but I've certainly heard it from AA's, uh, the next right thing. What's the next right thing to do? Mm-hmm. That can help to, to clarify. And and the difference between important and urgent is 
has also become clear to me because I always want to throw myself at the thing that seems most urgent. But that's not always the thing that I actually need to do. It's not actually the thing that needs to come first. It just seems like it is because it's, oh, my God, it's got to be done right now. What is the first thing I need to do? Yeah. Okay. I'm too busy. Here's one I used to use. It just popped into my head. I used to say when I was running a large company that you know all these things weren't getting done and I was getting frustrated. And I would make, a, I came up with this little quip that said, you know, you're just too busy driving to stop and buy gas. No wonder you ran out of gas, you know? Yes. And that was the way my life was. I mean, I was too busy trying to get somewhere so quickly uh, before I even needed to be there that you know, I got speeding tickets and I was just rushing and just an avalanche of emotional insobriety, in you know, of uh, chaos and confusion. So first things first gives me, if I can remember that tool, to pull it up and pick it out of my pocket, polish it off, dust it off and use it. It'll give me uh, choices. It'll, it'll put priorities. And as the sentence completes in that opening, uh, perspective. Al-Anon principles may we, we can stop and think, even when we're too new to Al-Anon to, or too overwhelmed by our circumstances to recall one of the many Al-Anon principles that may apply, a simple slogan can put the entire situation into perspective. So it's about perspective and awareness and identifying, you know, a paper cut versus, you know, something that needs triage, you know. <laughs> it's not a severed limb. It's a paper cut. Yeah. Get a Band-Aid. Don't go to the ER. Yeah, that's first things first. And, you know, deciding to get something to eat before I leave the house. That's important. It seems trivial. I use a lot of people. There's a fellow that's in the rooms now. He's he's a he's a a newcomer. He's a mess. And I looked at him. I said, what are you what are you doing? Take care of yourself. I mean, not not much. I haven't eaten in three days. I haven't slept in four days. You know, wow. First things first. I mean, yeah, but I was there. I mean, if I slept or ate, it was incidental when I first came in. Survival. It wasn't enjoyment. Yeah. That's first thought on it. That's one that's easy to comprehend right out of the Sure. Point. I was thinking about a couple of things. One is where I'm so busy just doing the, the little urgent things that seem like they absolutely need to get done right away to go shopping. And then I have no food in the house. And so then I have to like order out pizza or something. Then I end up spending money on food that's not very good as opposed to having something there that I could make that I would really enjoy and that would actually be cheaper and and more healthy. The other place where first things first has been, I think, sort of a godsend to me is at work. So I do software development and, and sometimes we have this big thing that we want to do, right? It may be really hard to to see how we're going to get from where we are to where we want to be. What I have learned to do is to break it down, break it down into smaller pieces. And then it it usually becomes clear which of those are first. Sometimes you just don't know where to start. It's so big. It's such a big problem. Like, I don't know, building a house. What do you do first? Well, you dig the foundation, I suppose, but do I go out and buy all the lumber and the windows and everything before I get started? Probably not. Maybe you can address that question a little more. I have not ever built a house, actually. Well, you're, you're way too far down the road. The first thing is 
do some drawings and have hire an architect. There's so many things that come before digging a hole. Uh, but yeah, I get it. No, yeah. the, the idea, <laughs> the idea is that, you know, building anything, I build lots of things, but building houses currently custom homes and the amount of planning, the better and more time I spend with an architect and engineers in the planning stages of the job, the more likely this project will go smoothly because it's very easy to have these things go sideways, yep. you know, yep. very quickly. Maybe, maybe an example that, that, that a listener might relate to more easily and which I have done is putting a deck on the back of a house. There you go. Do you go out and start digging post holes right away? I don't think so. Like you said, you want to actually plan it. You want to know how big it is and what it's going to look like, at least in outline. And then that will tell you where you need to put those holes. And maybe, as I did, you need to consult with the city to see how deep those holes are supposed to be. Probably a good idea. You know, they actually, they want to come out and look at it. They want to make sure your holes are deep enough. I was like, man, okay, so on Saturday, I'm going to make holes in the ground, you know, 42 inches down or whatever it is for where I live. And then I got to wait for the city inspector to come measure those stupid holes. Uh, if I don't think about that ahead of time, I, I got this whole pile of lumber in my backyard and I, I dig holes and I pour concrete and I stick four by fours down the holes and well, then I pour the concrete. And then the city inspector comes by and says, well, I can't tell how deep those holes are. You're going to have to pull them out. I'm like, There's a slogan for that in construction. Yeah. That, that's called a change order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we want to avoid those, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you bought too much lumber or not enough because yeah. your holes are too deep or too shallow, among many others. I mean, literally, I've never renovated a bathroom without 10 different things going wrong. So it's a perfect analogy. Yeah, of course, it just happens. It's life. And and that's another thing that, that actually comes up for me in my work and at home is that I'll take the first step that seems like in the right direction, and then I'll take another step, and then I'll discover, oh, I'm not actually going exactly in the right direction, and I have to step back. But because I'm doing it step by step, you know, one step at a time, one day at a time, figuring, you know, considering first things first, because I'm doing it one step at a time, it doesn't cost me that much to take that step back and a step in a slightly different direction. And you talked about renovating bathrooms and I've, I've done my share of home plumbing, which seemed to, I, I figure a home plumbing job is a total success if it involves no more than three visits to the hardware store. Hmm which is 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 just indicative of this step-at-a-time approach. You start tearing something apart, and you're like, oh, I don't have the part I need to, or, oh, oops, I broke something because it was all rusted together. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, God, plumbing. Okay, don't get me started on plumbing. Let's move on here. Well, wait, before we do, I just I found a good, surprisingly encouraged to change. There's no readings on first things first, at least in the index. It's probably within it somewhere if I use my phone app ebook yeah I, a good one here i'll just read the reminder and then we'll move on uh november 19th from one day at a time the today's reminder says suddenly i awoke to the fact that Alanon asks a lot more of us than just to cope with the problem of alcoholism we need to apply it to all departments of living and in the order of their importance in quotes and italicized and the quote at the bottom says i pray to remember to attend to first things first. Yeah. Good reminder. Totally. Good reminder. Totally important. You suggested, is it worth my serenity, which is not a slogan in the book, but it's, 
like totally important. Yeah. Well, you know what? I look back and we actually did that, I believe. Well, we did How Important Is It, which is a slightly different version of I gotcha. of that. That's also like first things first. It it sort of is. It's sort of right. So it kind of sits between them because I remember using How Important Is It when I would get the urge to start an argument about something trivial. Yeah. I did that a lot and I still have the urge to do that because it's important to me, you know, sort of my personality is things have to be exactly right. So we could, I could get into an argument about whether something happened last Thursday or last Wednesday. Yeah. When the whole point of the story about what happened is not that it happened on Thursday or Wednesday. In fact, it's irrelevant whether it happened on Thursday or Wednesday, but say my wife would start a story and she said, well, last Wednesday this happened. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was Thursday. And then, and that totally derails what's going on. It causes anger, resentment, fighting. And I could ask myself, how important is it that it was actually Thursday? Well, it's not. And then, and then I could keep my mouth shut and things went a lot more smoothly and serenely. When I think about, is it worth my serenity? It's a different form of that question. Mm -hmm. I could ask that same question. Is it worth my serenity to have this argument? But it also, I think, applies in situations where maybe how important is it doesn't quite apply as well. Well, you know, the thing that comes to mind immediately is, is when I started using that slogan several years ago. The answer I virtually always came up with is the obvious one. It's no. There's, there's no way that this is worth my losing my peace of mind. And for, for me, serenity means my peace of mind, my, my ability to regulate my emotions, to remain emotionally sober, to not react. It's the whole thing. It's everything that I've worked for. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've managed by working this program, I believe, you know, diligently. I won't say hard. I used to think the harder I worked, the more I'd get, you know, squeeze it harder, go faster. That doesn't work for me anymore. We covered easy does it in part one, which was uh, my mantra for the middle part of my program. Years two and three was easy does it. Started with let go and let God as a speed bump, as I said in that episode. It went to easy does it because I had to slow down. Yeah. I was going to have a heart attack or I was going to kill somebody. You know, I've heard a speaker, a, a dual member who shared, said, you know, I, I go to AA to prevent from committing suicide. I go to Al-Anon to prevent from committing homicide. That gets us into the live and let live, which we're coming up to. But really, I mean, it was uh, die and kill. It wasn't live and let live. So where was I? What was I saying? Is it with your serenity? Exactly. So <laughs> like I was saying, the answer is always no. It's if I can stop and think, you know, use even think the acronym. I usually stop unnecessary. Is it thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary, kind to just touch on another of our slogans? And necessary is usually where I say, wait a second. Is this necessary, you know, to confront this? All of these slogans, I think, could fall underneath that. Is it worth my serenity? And then the answer, I'm just going to default and say no. The answer is no, because I've worked very hard to fill my well with with recovery. And now my recovery, which used to, my well used to be empty, you know, was just despair. 
and you know a, a puddle of you know sadness and loss and chaos confusion that was my well now my well is full of hope and faith and belief and i see it working you know what better what better gift than to see my family situation improve by applying these ideas it all has been changing in such small ways, but looking back and looking at the perspective and the rainbow of recovery that I've experienced, it's completely changed. I, I do not lose my, my shit anymore. And the, the effect it's had on my relationships, not only with my daughters who live with me now full time, both uh, 115, 120. Believe me, there are challenges every single day. There was one last night. I used live and let live. And is it worth my serenity is the first thing that comes to mind. Everything else follows. It's not. Yeah. It's not worth me losing what I've worked so hard to get, which is some finally some peace in my life, some peace and comfort and joy and love and hope and faith. It's not worth it. So then that's an automatic. It's not worth it. Then what's the tool to apply? So that kind of, you know, is a sweeping. Mm-hmm. It's not worth my serenity to react to this. So now which one of these underneath that, which one of these could apply? Live and let live, let go and let God, easy does it, uh, first things first. All of these little tiny pieces of pocket change add up to that it's not worth the well of serenity that I've built up. I guard with my life. It's it's the crown, the crown jewels, my chest of serenity. The end of the rainbow is peace of mind and serenity. And I'm not willing to give that up for anybody or anything. And I've heard many times saying, you know, are you willing to go to any length to, you know, protect your serenity? The answer for me is yes. So that's an interesting thing that you say. The answer to this question is always no. Yeah. So the important part of that slogan for you then sounds like it's not the answer to the question in the slogan. It's the fact of just saying it at all. Remembering to ask automatically brings you to the place of, oh, wait, no, my serenity is more important than this other thing. So it's more of a reminder in the form of a question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I was thinking about a place where I might use that, where maybe how important is it doesn't directly apply, which is... If I'm, say, lying awake worrying or fretting about something, if I remember to ask myself, is this worth my serenity to to be in this worry state? And again, the answer is no. Partly because, as we know, worry is not productive, uh, does not accomplish anything, does not change anything, except my mood, except by removing my serenity. So I can use that, is this worth my serenity, in places where it's not really a choice of do something or not, but do I, I mean, I guess the choice is, do I want to keep on doing the thing I'm doing? Is this thing I'm doing that is that is eroding my serenity, is it worth it? Um, and I, I guess I can think of some cases where the answer to that might be yes, but in, in most cases it's not. If I'm doing something that is taking away some serenity from me at the moment, 
but is, is important for me to be doing. I don't like to think about money a whole lot. We've talked about that. And so something that is sort of fraught with anxiety for me might be trying to make a budget because it forces me to think about the things that I spend money on that maybe I shouldn't be spending money on or whatever it is. Or I'm afraid that it will, it will take me to that place. Right. But it might actually be worth that little bit of serenity to do that work, to go look at, go talk to the retirement planner that keeps sending me emails to, Hey, you're getting close to retirement. You should come in and like, we should talk about how you want to readjust your holdings and whatever and prepare for retirement. I'm like, I don't want to think about it, but maybe it is worth losing that little bit of serenity because I will gain serenity in the longer term. That's an important question sometimes when the answer is yes. But for, as, as you say, in most situations, the answer is absolutely no. And all I need to do is remember to ask the question. We also picked a slogan here, which I don't use a lot, but when I think about it, I'm like, maybe I should be using it more. And that's let it begin with me. And I don't know in your meetings, in most of the meetings that I go to, um, we do not use this, the Al-Anon declaration. Are you familiar with that? We use every meeting I go to closes with every meeting. In the local area, we tend to begin and end with the serenity prayer rather than the declaration. So I'm going to read this because I bet yeah. somebody's listening who's, who's not familiar with this. It says, let it begin with me. When anyone anywhere reaches out for help, let the hand of Alanon and Alateen always be there and let it begin with me. I remember being, I think, in a group conscience for a meeting where somebody said, hey, you know, we should think about using this. And somebody else said, but I come to Alanon to not think about other people. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, but the point that I've come to understand why it needs to begin with me, I think really goes back to my first meeting. When I walked in, there were people in that meeting who were willing to let it begin with them when they welcomed me to the meeting and they asked me how I was doing. They reached out. And if nobody in that meeting had reached out, I probably would have come back but I wouldn't have felt as positive about it as I did. I wouldn't have felt as welcomed. I wouldn't have felt as no longer alone, which was the huge thing that I got out of my first meeting was being not alone. And so because somebody reached out to me and said, welcome, because somebody let it begin with them, that really made me feel welcome and made me want to come back. Uh, and so that's my understanding of what this means. It doesn't mean I'm supposed to drop everything and reach out and fix you. But it does mean that if I'm in that position when you're new and you walk in the door, that I I need to let it begin with me to say hi, to say welcome, to say, is this your first time in a meeting? To say, here's some literature. Please sit down and we will talk about what Al-Anon means for us and welcome you into this fellowship. I just think about how it would be if nobody ever did that. Not too nice. <laughs> oh my God. 
But there is some other aspects. There's another aspect here that, that is equally important for me, which is in my recovery, I need to put my recovery first. I need to let my recovery begin with me. I can't let my recovery begin with my loved one. I can't let my recovery begin with my child. I can't let my recovery begin with trying to, you know, continuing to try to fix the alcoholic. I need to let my recovery begin with me. I need to put my recovery first over anybody else's recovery. And that's the, that oxygen mask metaphor that, that we use so often. It's like, you know, when you're on the airplane and they're giving you those safety instructions that you've heard a million times before and, and you probably ignore at this point if you travel a lot like I do, maybe not a million times. That would be quite a few miles. <laughs> anyway, they say, if the oxygen mask drops because of a loss of cabin pressure, put your own on first before assisting those around you. Because if you don't put your own on first, you're going to pass out and you're not going to be able to help the people around you. I need to put my oxygen mask of recovery on and then I can reach out and help other people put theirs, theirs on if they need that help. What does this slogan say to you? Love this slogan. I'm glad we chose this because I have not spent a lot of time on it. I mean, I you know, we finish, like I said, every meeting here finishes. I don't know of any that don't. They're printed for newcomers so they can read it. Because for me, it's about 12-step work for one thing, carrying a message. Uh, as you know, I was involved with public outreach. And for three or four years, getting the message out. To some degree, it's that. Let it begin with me to carry the message to others that might find the same help. And leading by example is what this really means to me. The, the question here, I guess, is what's the it? You know, let what begin with me? Okay, yeah. And it's, you know, well, let it. What is it? It for me is is recovery. Let let me be the one that exhi- exhibits sober-minded behavior, patience listening, kindness, courtesy, and focus on myself. Let my attention begin with my thoughts and attitudes. That's the it for me. It's how I behave. Let my behavior begin with me and let my focus not be on everybody else. You know, let it begin with them is not a slogan. You know, I think, (laughs) you know, it's true. uh, Again, you know, I mean, I I can't drink the poison and kill her. You know, it's just going to hurt me. So what I can do is take the vitamins to help me. Let that begin with me. Let my health and well-being and peace of mind start and be, I hope, an example for the people around me. We can't give away what we don't have. And that leads me to a great reading. There's lots of them on on this slogan, let it begin with me. This one's from Courage to Change, April 18, page 109. It said, I had spent a lot of time yearning for things I wasn't getting from the alcoholic in my life. As a part of my Al-Anon recovery, I was encouraged to put those needs on paper. Courtesy, respect, attention, affection, communication. My list of the areas in which I felt my loved one had let me down went on and on. My sponsor applauded my honesty and then suggested that I could bring all the things on my list into my life. The catch, I had to give what I wanted to receive and become what I wanted to attract. Did I present a shining example of courtesy and all the rest? If not, 
I had a wonderful list of goals already on paper. <laughs> I've often heard that we get back what we give. I now know that it's true. As I grew kinder and more loving, other people responded to the change. I also felt much better about myself. Today, I can honestly say that all the qualities on my list exist in my life, at least some of the time. I hadn't expected these results, or any others for that matter. I was too busy focusing on myself, and I think that's why it worked. Today's reminder says, today I can take an active role in fulfilling my needs. I can choose to become someone I would want to have in my life. Pretty amazing, right? And the quote from In All Our Affairs, it finishes with the quote, many of us find that as we practice treating others fairly with love and respect, we ourselves become magnets for love and respect. Wow. That is a, that is a let it begin with me reading. It sure is. Of course it is. How did yeah. you find that? Because I don't think it says let it begin with me anywhere in that reading. But it's it's great. I use this incredibly complicated thing called the index. Oh. In the back of the <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. A, yeah. yeah, it's <laughs> one oh nine. Under slogans, let it begin with me, one oh nine. Yeah, it was very difficult. <laughs> well <laughs> you know, hours. that's that's interesting. Um I have the as as you do, I have the electronic version. Uh-huh. It doesn't but have an yeah, index. You wouldn't, that's right. You wouldn't find it. I wouldn't find it. If I search for right. that, it begin with me. I wouldn't I find it. I have the hard copy on my desk. So, so that's you. a place where the index can uh-huh. be yeah. more important than or more useful than, than the uh, electronic search. And right. the other way around sometimes, too. How about that? Yeah. You found, um, actually, another reading that, that I wanted to... Uh, touch on here and it, it gets back to the well it's a different aspect of the put my recovery first this is courage to change also december 2nd page 337 i can easily itemize my loved one's limitations hours pass while i list the ways in which he could stand to change but not one thing has ever improved as a result of this mental criticism all it does is keep my mind on someone other than me and then what would happen if I took my list of criticisms and applied it gently to myself? I may complain about my loved one's verbal abuse. After all, I don't speak to him that way. But at the level of thought, I am just as abusive. The same attitude exists in both of us. We just manifest it differently. And the reminder says, Alanon says, let it begin with me. When I identify something I dislike in another, I can look for similar traits within myself and begin to change them. By changing myself... I can truly change the world. I definitely have heard that one before. Um, there's there's a guy who used to come to one of my meetings regularly, and he was a double winner, so he had a certain conciseness of expression that I think is often missing in us Alanons, if I can overgeneralize. And he said, "If you spot it, you got it." Mm which yeah. means the things that most annoy me about other people are probably things that I do or have myself and that other people form the mirror in which I can better see myself. And then I can turn back. I can let it begin with me. I can work on those things in myself and guess what? They won't bug me so much in the other people. Well, maybe the, there's the saying there's, there's no, nobody as self-righteous as the reformed smoker. 
then I have to let it begin with me to and, and ask, is it worth my serenity, right? Hours pass while I list the ways in which it could stand to change. Is that really worth my serenity? Hmm. Maybe not. Maybe well, it's not. like a waste of time. <laughs> you know, this, this reading I wrote down as you were reading it, isms, you know, when I list the things that I want to change about somebody else, you know, as the previous reading said as well, you know, that's a good roadmap for what I might want to look at at myself. You know, am I, am, do I react with anger? Do I, I mean, the, the isms of alcoholism apply to us too. I've, I'm sure anyone who's gone to meetings long enough has heard we have the isms. And that means, you know, we have the family disease, which is uh, all the chaos and reactionary behavior and chaotic thinking and confusion. But we all came in with those isms. You know, ours just are manifested in thinking, not drinking. I like the spotted you got it. I heard a different version of that. Uh, if the medicine works, you probably have the disease. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, if this stuff we're doing in these rooms is helping our life improve, yeah, okay. We probably got it. We got, and I've, got I've, those isms. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And and I think, I don't know, I think that the entire world should be doing some form of, you know, self-improvement, be it this or some other program. I mean, I used to say, uh, you know, my, my older now is 20, but for the last six years, five, five and a half, four, four, four and a half, five years, she's been living with me. And now my, my 15 year old is living with me. And I think there should be a 12 step program for that alone, you know, <laughs> for, uh, for being I, a parent. I, I, hi, I'm Eric. I live with two teenage girls. Hi, Eric. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Parents of teenagers anonymous, program. huh? Oh, yeah. Yep. Pats. <laughs> Pots, P O T. Uh, Pota. Pota. Um, yeah, anyway. So so this one, Let It Begin With Me, I think is, is just really about self awareness and that it's my job to to, you know, look at myself, focus on me and be kind, be courteous. We did a whole episode on kindness and courtesy to listen. You know, I've I've heard it in readings, you know, that the, uh, one of the, one of the kindest and most loving things we can do is to listen with intent and be the example, you know, be the example of recovery. And with me and my daughters, that is proving to be incredibly powerful. They see now that I no longer react and i've said this many times you know if i can if i can continue to speak no matter what's happening in this tone of voice i can get away with saying just about anything (laughs) i really can i can let someone know that i'm displeased without yelling you know i uh it's totally just opposite as my sponsor often says alanon teaches us to think opposite first thought wrong thought take a pause Take a breath, find a tool, reach in to your kit, get some of that pocket change, and decide which one might apply here to protect my serenity and um, not give it away. Yeah, not give it away. What I've worked so hard to protect and build. Come back around, and I think that's a, a great place to uh, to stop. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. The first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecovery.show/slash two three five, is the song 
Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. As performed by the, the one that I chose, uh, the YouTube video is performed by the Isley Brothers with Santana. This is a song that so many people have, have covered over the years. Uh, I found a brief history of this song um, on the web. It says, Cy Miller and Jill Jackson were a husband and wife songwriting team. In 1955, they wrote a song about their dream of peace for the world and how they believed each one of us could help create it. And I'll put a link to the the longer version of that in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 235. And it just, it feels to me like this is really the perfect song for that slogan because it's about here is something we want to do that is so big. Actually, this covers a lot of slogans now that I think about it. It's so big that it seems like there's no way any of us can make it happen. But if we, each of us, say, let it begin with me, let me do what little I can, we might actually get there. Haven't got there yet. What What is it now, 60-something years later? I should know exactly because I was born in 1955, but whatever. We still haven't got there, but it's still something that we work for, and we work for it in our daily lives. Let there be peace in our family. You know, We use these slogans, first things first. How important is it? Is it worth my serenity? Let it begin with me. We can use these slogans in our family to bring a little peace. And if we can bring a little peace in our family, maybe we can start to bring a little peace in a larger part of the world. So that's the song that I picked. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And it's actually been a couple of weeks for me. One of the things that I think about uh, that happened this, in this in this last couple of weeks goes right along there with first things first and taking care of myself, which is I had I decided that it was time for me to take the next step and do doing something about this uh pinched nerve, herniated disc, whatever it is that in my neck that's been causing me problems for really, honestly, about 30 years. And I've been living with it. I've been dealing with it. I've been treating it. And the thing about this sort of injury is it doesn't get better. I can do things that help it not get worse, but over 30 years, it as I get older, every part of my body gets older and, and it's gone from occasional numbness to numbness almost all the time to numbness and prickling. And I'm like, I don't like this prickling and I'm still working. I still have good health insurance and maybe it's time to actually do something about this. So what is the first thing I need to do? Well, the first thing I needed to do was to get a referral to a neurosurgeon. So I did that. And then the neurosurgeon wants to see what it looks like. So the next first thing is to get an MRI, which I did. Um, and that is never a fun experience. I don't know if you've had an, an MRI in your life. It involves lying flat on your back inside a, a small enclosed space with lots of noise going on around. Oh, you. no. Mine was a meditation, not an MRI. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Okay, so so actually using that tool of meditating of focusing inward rather than focusing outward rather than worrying about 
what's going to happen rather than anticipating. I've done this before, so I know what's happening. And, and rather than anticipating the noise and the the having to hold still and and all of the aches and pains that come with that for me, uh, you know, try to focus inward a little bit and and understand that this too shall pass. There's another slogan. And it was over and, and it wasn't horrible, you know? <laughs> uh, and so then I'm like, okay, now I can make the appointment with the neurosurgeon. So I call the neurosurgeon's office and they're like, no, he has to look at your films first. And we'll call you. <laughs> okay, that is not the first thing. The first thing now is just to be patient and to, and to let, let go, to let go and to have confidence that, that I will get a call from them and that I will get a consultation and that, you know, maybe they will be able to do something that is less invasive than drilling holes in my spine and putting in titanium rods, which is what they proposed 20 years ago, which is why I haven't gone back. But I understand they have, they have much less invasive ways of doing that now. And, and I, you know, it's part of taking care of myself really. And, and I need to do it. So that was, that was sort of a big thing this week for me. Last weekend was there was this whole thing that came together for me over a period of a couple of days on Saturday. I went to sort of a teacher's retreat, I guess it was called or, or workshop at church for all of us who, who, you know, are there with our children and youth on Sunday mornings to just come together, see how we're doing, talk about maybe problems we're having and, Oh, there was a presentation about something important that I don't remember the details of right now, but I, I definitely took it in at the time. That happened and and sort of set me up. In the afternoon, we're trying to hire a new minister, new senior minister for our congregation. And so we had a meeting in the afternoon of interested people to just sort of talk about how do we view the mission of our congregation. And so we had three questions. Who are we? Who, who do we serve and what do we need to do? And for each of those questions, we sat at a table of five or six, four or five people at a table, I think. We each wrote down our own thoughts on that for a while. Then we talked about it as a table. We, we wrote it up on a, on a bigger piece of paper, which then we took all of them, stuck them up on the wall, looked at them, and then voted on like the three statements we thought were most important. So I don't know, there was 25 people or something there. We did this for each of those three questions, and then our minister sort of summarized what we had said, the five top, the five most important things from, from each of, for each of those questions. And on one of them, there was a statement that a number of people had obviously voted for because it was in the top five that I totally disagreed with part of it. I agreed with part of it and part of it. I knew did not apply to me. And, and this was like the, who are we statements? And I'm like, I don't agree with that, but it took some courage, a little bit of courage for me to speak up and say, I don't agree with that because uh, it would seem clear that I was disagreeing with maybe the majority of the people who were in the room, right? They thought this was an important statement because they had put their vote on it. And I said, this, this actually offends me, this statement. And, and I would like, to not have that included sort of in, in what we put together as our final thing. And as I said that, I saw several other people around the room nodding. And I knew that I wasn't alone, but if I hadn't spoke up, I never would have known that. And I think I had an experience like that in the morning, which is why I'm connecting it. And then Sunday morning, we had a, a guest 
minister in the pulpit, and her sermon was uh, based on the story of Neville Longbottom and Harry Potter. And you, I don't know if you read the Harry Potter series or saw the movies. Anyway, so Neville, throughout the seven books, is the kid who just can't quite ever do anything right. He's the the kid who gets bullied. But he also, in each of the books, at least she pointed out, he stands up for small things. He stands up for things that he thinks are right. He stands up against his enemies. He stands up against his friends when he thinks they're doing the wrong thing. And in the end, he's the one who's able to face the big villain and, you know, achieve the victory that everybody else has been working for throughout these seven books. And the point of of the sermon was that we can actually train our brains to make choices out of possibility rather than make choices out of fear. And then I went to be with the seventh grade and we read at the our opening we read a a reading about risk which basically was a bunch of statements like if you want love you need to risk being not loved if you want something they were all if you want something you need to risk something okay so that's also about little courage is about making choices out of possibility rather than out of fear to get things that you want and then we did we had a new teacher, and she suggested that we go around and each talk about something that's important to us. And I don't know about you, but opening up about to to a group of people that I sort of know and sort of don't know, especially if I was a seventh grader, 12 years old or 13 years old, right? Opening up about something that's important to me is risking being ridiculed about, at least that's the way it feels, right? Yeah. And so all these things over the course of two days – just tied together into this experience of thinking about sort of going with and thinking about what is the positive, what is the possibility here to move past the fear that I, that I have in, in lots of little situations. So that's my recovery story for the, for the week. Going back, uh, let's see, my 12 and 12 meeting last Sunday was on tradition five, which is each Eleanor group has but one purpose to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves and encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives by welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics. So a great one. Uh, I love the traditions. You know, at, at first, you know, as I think a lot of people, they don't see much use in the traditions, but the more we get deeper into this program, the more we see how this really does apply to lots of other areas of our lives. You know, I mean, some of the things discussed that everyone deserves love, even those who have treated us badly. You know, there's a, there's just so much in these traditions. Yeah, you know, I, I, I did not, when I first heard this, encouraging, understanding and encouraging my alcoholic. I, I had no clue what they were talking about, you know. I thought it was, a, I'd have to be the cheerleader, don't drink, go to meetings, don't drink, go to meetings. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was what encouraging meant. You know, but, <laughs> yeah, rah, rah, you went to a meeting, yippee. But, you know, what it actually has come to mean is detaching with love and setting limits and boundaries and being compassionate and having empathy, uh, not reacting. That's encouragement. It's encouragement by not doing, not enabling, and modeling sober-minded behavior. 
I can't give away what I don't have. Didn't we just say that? That was one of our slogans. I wrote that in not even thinking about it. One of the readings uh, mentioned that, you know, that you can't give away what we don't possess. Yeah. So I think it was in Let It Begin With Me. Yeah. So that to me now is what Tradition 5 talks talks to, modeling and giving away love and, and understanding and compassion and, and, um, and also taking care of myself, putting boundaries in place that do so, protect the serenity that I've worked hard to achieve, and using these tools to not get dragged into someone else's, you know, someone else's dysfunction. Let me let me see here. How do I say this with honesty and that sign? I'm dating again. You know, it's been a while. Yeah. But uh, I am, uh, you know, on some of the website things. You know, I've and here's why maybe this cropped up in this. My alcoholic ex was a provoker and would call and text me at any time of day or night that something crossed her mind. She didn't have any governor on the time or what she said, and particularly if she was drinking. And it'd be very disturbing, you know. So I finally blocked her about three, four months ago. And I said, you know, emails only. And for whatever reason now, I get very, very little. Thursday was my home group, Bill G. Red. He, he led on what I will and won't do, um, and there's a there's a bookmark about, I think, along those lines. I wrote Fear and Faith, Learn Something New, Think Different, Think Opposite, First Thought, Wrong Thought. We touched on that today. Keep what's good and let go of the rest. He talked of his smile to frown quotient. <laughs> I love that. You know, I'm just smiling more these days. He said something that I made up a new little acronym. I like to use acronyms. The smaller, the better. If I can distill down even a four-word slogan into an acronym, I, it's just for me, I'm just a dummy. I just easier for me to pull up, you know, ODAT than one, I, for some reason. I can actually write it on my palm if I need to, which I've done. I mean, I've, I've written think on my hand or UTT, use the tools we, we touched on last time. To remind me and look at something or, or, or I touch my bracelet to remind me, you know, not to react. But he said something. He was talking about change and apprehension was actually his topic. Change and apprehension. I used to write the acronym PISO. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. That's uh-huh. uh, in one of our readings. I used to write that on my hand years ago. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Meaning I have a choice in how to let something uh, affect me. And so I made up a new acronym that I'm using. Uh, so change is inevitable. Apprehension is optional. So I call that chow as in goodbye. Hey. <laughs> and I wrote here, urgent things are seldom important. Important things are seldom urgent. So even though I started today by saying I haven't really done a lot of prep work for this, actually I've been doing it the whole week. I just didn't even realize it. Yeah. You know, subconsciously just, I write by using easy does it. I don't miss the gifts and I appreciate what goes well and savor the moments I listen. I'm a human being, not a human doing. And this tone of voice is the way I'd like to live. Let's see. And that's about it. The men's group last night was a guest speaker, Greg W. And he spoke of his life. And, but what's interesting and I know what meanings that are really healthy is very little is discussed about the behavior of our alcoholic. It's about our behavior. That's a healthy meeting. It's not just unloading and certainly happens, but 
he just basically spoke about how his working of his program, he's just become an Alateen sponsor. He has three sponsees. So he's obviously really working a good program. I admire his program. I've been speaking to him more recently and invited him to be our guest speaker, which we do at the end of the month. We try to have a guest, and um, he's from a little further away. He really works his step three. He really turns it over to his higher power. And so that's kind of been my week. I also have been working the concepts with a friend who is fairly new, about a year into the program, and wanted to get involved in service as a GR a group rep, and perhaps even a district rep, but step back from that and might take over my old spot, which has been vacant for a while, which is very important, I believe, uh, which is public outreach. So um, we've been going through the concepts of service, and we're doing that on Fridays. We're on concept three. You know, the concepts, I used to say, we had one our 12 and 12 meeting on if a month had a fifth Sunday, we would do the con- a concept and we would walk through the concepts and, you know, however long it took. And th- there's amazing wealth of uh, recovery in the concepts. You know, even even after the traditions, people kind of groan about a concept. But <laughs> inevitably, I walk out with something really good about how to carry the message, which is about what the concepts are focused on is about service work. So that's great. And then I listened to a couple episodes on uh, the recovery show, parenting, being a sober parent and the open talk with Carol S uh, were both great. So that's kind of where my week has been. All right. Thank you. And just as a reminder, we did do, I did with um, Akila episodes on the concepts a few years ago. If you go to the recovery dot show, tap on search at the top uh, in the menu, uh, you can search for concepts. I think if you search for concepts or concept, uh, it should pick up, uh, pull up those episodes that we did. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot in there. There absolutely is. Also, Gina sent in a share responding to the step three questions uh, from a couple of episodes ago. Hi, Spencer. This is Gina. I'm calling... I went through the questions on that, the willingness episode about willingness to turn your life over to God. And I took some notes. I really appreciated these questions and it felt really good to sit down and do them. And it felt really good. Also, I think you were working out of the paths of to recovery book. I picked that book up once and I found it really overwhelming. So I appreciated your perspective on it. I appreciated you sharing how your relationship with your willingness to turn things over over the course of the years and have that changes that is reassuring to me I think I'm in a place where I um I feel like I'm trying really hard with faith I'm trying really hard with faith and I don't want to force it but and I've noticed this about myself for several for a long maybe for the last few years of my adulthood especially once I've been more active in recovery is I want to have faith and I want to share and I want all these things, but I want it to be in exchange specifically for being okay. And I know like I can intellectually know that that's not really how it works because it's not how the world works, but my God, do I, the little, it's like, it must be the little girl inside me who just wants to be told over and over again that she's okay. So as I was going through the questions, how do I feel about turning life over? I feel, uh, I was surprised to find that I found 
I felt relieved that it, I guess that it was an option. Like, please do take this. Please take this because I can't do it all by myself anymore. And I've had that. I'm very familiar with that feeling. So I'm relieved. I'm also nervous and not entirely ready to trust. I wish there were a way for there some, for there to be a specific like outcome, like a promise of some kind, some kind of concrete conversation, some you know answers. So that's where I have hesitancy. You know, how do I know who or what my higher power is? I don't really know that I do know what my higher power is. I know that I came to a very specific decision one night when I just had to believe that there was a God that's looking out for me. I have to believe, I feel like I have to believe that my God is a loving God. My higher power is some kind of loving force otherwise and forgiving and wants to love all of God's children, right? If we're all there, I know that makes me kinder when I try and use that perspective. Otherwise, there's no hope for me or anyone else that there's no redemption. There's no way back from the bottom. So that's why that for me is love and goodness, I guess, the belief that God is love and goodness. And that's about all I have. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I could make a list of things I'm grateful for. And I guess that would be, I mean, things you're grateful for and then things that don't seem like things that you're grateful for, like lessons, I guess, that are being put in front of you. If everything is a sign that God is there, pros and cons, I guess. Anyway, the question, am I willing or what would help me be willing? I am willing. I think, again, this sort of intellectual, like, or maybe it's the the feeling of being willing, the the sense that I don't have a choice other than to be willing. Um, and that also kind of goes back to relief. And then, but it doesn't mean that I'm actually capable of turning it over completely. And I think that has to do with the hanging on with my mind, my ego. I wrote here, I don't want to be in charge all the time. I want to believe there's a loving force who will take care of me like a parent and that I will be shown the way in time. And apparently I surprised myself. I wrote my, I wrote down, I'm surprising myself as I write this. And I guess for me, that big statement that's surprising is that faith, right? Where it says that I will be shown the way in time. I guess being, practicing patience and trust would help me be willing being and practicing being okay with not knowing all the answers. Um, I guess I kind of don't have a choice with not knowing all the answers. I have to be okay with it because I just don't know. I do wish still that I had a specific answer or instant clarity um, or certainty. I don't hear God's voice specifically. I know I've heard people talk about like knowing very concretely, very specifically, very tangibly what God wants them to do. But I sometimes have a feeling in my gut what may or may not be the right thing to do. I don't often make the connection in my head or find the courage to act on it. But I often have a feeling. I know I was reading about somebody who had gone to seminary school and she would write down her prayers. And she would write down her prayers to God in black. And then for her, God spoke very specifically to her in in different colors. And I found myself being very envious. I tried to keep in mind she had a very rigorous religious practice. I did not. Um, I do not. But like wishing I had that kind of a relationship. 
just knowing and maybe I'm, I don't know, it's not mine to be envious of, I guess. The next question is, how can I stop thinking, trying, considering, and make a decision? And I kind of thought about this in two phases. One, perspective to turn it over. How can I stop trying, considering, etc., and making a decision to turn it over? And that's really taking the time to recognize what I can't control and what, what it might be worth actively, intellectually turn things over. Like, think it when I hear it. There are definitely times in my life right now when I think specifically I'll be in a conversation and I have to, I'll be like, this is out of my control. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't, I wish that it were different, but there's nothing I can do about it. And that's when I, I sort of mentally say to myself, okay, God, like this is yours. I can't, I can't even touch this. And then I'll disrupt the analysis, sort of the wheels spinning and the, the, constant processing with a phone call to an Al-Anon friend, doing a reading, a meditation, just breaking it up sometimes gives me the space to feel more at peace. And maybe I might not actually be giving it over, but like if I disrupt the analysis and I disrupt the clinging, then maybe I've let go enough a little bit that I have turned it over. And then I have the, how can I stop thinking, trying, considering, and make a decision uh, to do anything else. I think about what I don't want first um, and make a pros and cons list, even if it's something as simple as eating dinner. I think about, do I want do I want access to vegetables? Do I want to have a salad option? I usually do. I don't want heavy, greasy, usually. I'm, Or I think about, you know, if we had pizza recently, maybe I want a burger instead or a sandwich or fish or whatever it is. I make a pros and cons list for other things, um, prayer and meditation, or I act as if I have decided what it is I want and go from there. And then five, have I had a problem making a decision? And what are the examples? Yes. Throughout my life, I've had problems making decisions. I sometimes make decisions thinking that I can't change my mind or I act as if I can't change my mind once I've made a decision. God forbid I'm wrong. So yes, I have problems making decision right now. I have questions about going back to school. I have questions about where my husband and I want to live and trusting my husband, trusting, you know, he has a really big push for a specific area and I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm just not sure. And I kind of, I want to be able to trust him and follow him because he followed me once. So and trust that he has our best interest in heart and our future at heart, you know, and not just the, the what he wants in terms of the desires and the pleasures and the things that'll be fun about living in this area, but also what's going to be good for us as a family, looking for another job and even getting a sponsor. I have trouble making a decision about getting a sponsor and that to me, I've been thinking about it. It has a lot to do with my decision to turn my life over to God and to trust that the process and not control it. Um, I'm scared. I'm scared of bearing my soul and my deep, dark secrets. I'm scared. I don't know. I'm scared. And under here, I have obstacles to making a decision. Largely, I have fear, fear of failure. I wrote fear of losing a sense of balance, but I'm not sure what balance I have in my life right now. I'm. It's sort of all feels scraping like I'm scraping by and financially, emotionally, energetically, mentally. I have fear of financial insecurity, thinking about where we're going to live. Uh, the job options are not as great. For what I do, I would take a pay cut 
probably, unless I find look really hard. And that scares me. Fear of rejection and fear of judgment and conflict. So those are things that sometimes keep me from making a decision um, and making the decision to turn my life over to God. Thanks again for the podcast. I really appreciated the opportunity to reflect on these things. It was something I really needed needed to do, and I actually felt way better after I did it. So thank you. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Gina, for sharing those. Kylie also sent us a share about step three. Hi, Spencer. It's Kylie here from Australia. In answer to your question from episode 233, how am I answering these questions, I have found that now in my second year of working the steps and rereading my notes from my previous year, I realize I'm still not able to turn my will and my life over to the care of my higher power. I'm an adult child of an alcoholic and an Al-Anon, so turning anything over to another is a big ask. But I am willing. I have noticed now that most of the time I'm coming from my small self who is so petrified of being vulnerable by showing herself. Um, Past experience has been that I, of course, have chosen addicts who keep the abuse ongoing, but I can no longer blame anyone for any more abuse or neglect or abandonment because I've been single for nearly 20 years. I realise that I have been abandoning myself for most of my life and I've been believing the lie that I am unlovable and therefore I keep the abuse and the neglect going. So I'm now going to try and keep being aware of that lie and immediately trash it and come back to me and nurture, nurturing me, myself, because I now believe that this is where my higher power dwells. I am the dwelling place of the great I am. I've suffered PTSD most of my life and covered it and protected myself with anger. Uh, that became rage. Um, so with all that comes major anxiety. But uh, just last week I was introduced to Bateco Breathing, and I believe this is going to rid me of the racing brain and the, you know, the night terrors and the basically jaw clenching night tension, which is almost shattering my back teeth. And it's also a cure for asthma, just as an aside. Um, already in five days, my anxiety has lessened. If anybody's interested in that, it's B-U-T-E-Y-K-O, devised by a Russian that basically helped put the astronauts in in space because he understands the gases in the lungs and how basically mouth breathing is creates anxiety and so basically he's written a book called Shut Your Mouth. I know another, an Irish guy, what's his name, McCowan, you'll find him on YouTube and he teaches you how to do controlled pause on your breath and anyway, it's... um. As I said, in five days, my anxiety levels have dropped, so I think it's pretty miraculous. And if it cures asthma, well, that's pretty incredible too. Okay, I just wanted to share that, and I just want to thank you again, Spencer, for this fabulous show. It's very much a part of my life every day. Yeah, and I re-listen to episodes as well because I keep finding new things in it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kylie, for sharing your experience and your understanding. 
upcoming topics. We're still working on some parenting episodes, an episode on parenting in general, how has recovery uh, aided your parenting, changed your parenting, and one about being the parent of alcoholic children, alcoholic or addict child or children. I'm looking for shares for that particular episode. I've got, I think, a couple, and I'm looking for more. If you want to share your experience, strength, and hope about being the parent of an alcoholic or addict child, please contact us. And how can people do that, Eric? So you ask how people can find us, Spencer. Yes. yes. Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of more slogans, or slogans part do, as I said, <laughs> or any dukes, whatever you have pronounced that, or any of our upcoming topics, including parenting. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And our website, which is therecovery.show, does have all the information about the show, including all that contact information that Eric just uh, detailed at therecovery.show slash contact. And notes for each episode, links to the music we talk about, and so on. Links to some of the other things that we talk about. The readings, I try to remember to put uh, detailed citations for the readings in the show notes. Don't always remember, but you can always find show notes at therecovery.show slash whatever the number is. Eric, you want to talk about our second musical selection? Uh, Serenity by Godsmack? Yeah. Yeah, we just kind of found this this morning. You know, it's a little odd in some of the places here. I'm trying to kind of get to what um, what he's meaning by this, but certainly it's a great song. I mean, it, lyrically and musically, it's very cool. Here's some of the lyrics. Protect the ones who hold you, cradling your inner child. I need serenity in a place where I can hide. I need serenity. Nothing changes. Days go by. And this one kind of speaks to before and after. Yeah. Tragic visions slowly stole my life, tore away everything, cheating me out of my time. I'm the one who loves you, no matter wrong or right. And every day I hold you. I hold you with my inner child. And now it's your turn. Madeline writes, Hi, Spencer. First off, I wanted to thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope in your show. I've been in the program for about six months now, and listening to your show has been helpful to my recovery. I'm currently working on step two, but I find that I need to revisit step one often. The question I keep running into, and what I would appreciate feedback on is, what is the difference between accepting and minimizing the problem? The problem for me is my husband's drinking. For a while, I felt I had accepted his behavior. I was not okay with it, but I knew I couldn't control him, and I reminded myself he's going to do what he wants, and he has a disease. So I felt like I was in acceptance. But when his behavior worsened, I found I was devastated all over again, like when I was a newcomer. I realized that I might have been minimizing his behavior rather than accepting it. Any suggestions or thoughts? Thank you, Madeline. I guess the first thing that comes to my mind, uh, sort of between accepting and minimizing, is... Attitude. It's really about attitude. I think in acceptance, 
we recognize the behavior, you know, we recognize the behavior for what it is. Whereas when we're minimizing it, we're saying, oh, it's not so bad. It's okay. From what you said here, I'd accept it. I was not okay with it, but I knew I couldn't control him. That sounds less like minimizing and more like accepting. I, I'm not surprised that when it got worse, you reacted. You know, we all hope that our loved ones are going to get better, not worse. I certainly did for myself. What I needed to do in that case was to spend more time with the literature, more time in meetings, more time with Al-Anon friends, both to give me a place to vent, but also to help me to keep my serenity, to understand the things that I could do, the courage to change the things that I could while I was accepting the things that I couldn't. I don't know if that helps, but those are my thoughts. A listener wrote about the Sober Parent episode, number 232. Thank you for starting and continuing the Recovery Show podcast. It has saved me from myself so many times. This particular episode really hit home. I am in Al-Anon, married to an alcoholic. We have three boys, age 13, 11, and 7. My husband has 18 months of sobriety. It has not been easy, and if not for Al-Anon, I don't know if I would have held on as long as I have. My boys are my world. I have so much fear about the damage of having an alcoholic father. I grew up in the disease. My dad, who was an alcoholic, relapsed after 14 years and died of hepatitis nine years ago. Thank you for writing and sharing your experience. And I'm glad that we can be of help. D, who wrote a share for the Sober Parent episode, wrote again, Thank you for your recent podcast about being the sober parent, and thank you for sharing my letter. I have something additional to share. My husband, who is currently the alcoholic in my life, went through an intense outpatient program last year. He has had some slips. For the most part, he is doing okay, although painfully, there are often many difficult behaviors that we see daily, even with the absence of alcohol. My mom passed away unexpectedly in December, and I went home for her funeral. Sadly, this ended up to be the same weekend as Christmas. My husband stayed home to care for our pets because it's important for him to spend the holidays with his family since his father isn't well. Historically, his binges have continued to occur when I have to be away from home, and this was no exception. I knew the moment he said hello on the phone that this was the case when I went home for my mom's funeral, beginning the afternoon of the morning I left. My heart sank to know this, and the weight of my worry for his well-being on top of his recent unexpected loss of my mom was almost more than I could bear. My program kicked in to some degree, though. I told myself that I couldn't do anything for him right then. I prayed for God to help him and to help me focus on my priority, which was being present for my sisters and myself. The visit home was so hard, and just surviving the holidays, grieving the loss of my mom alongside my sisters and daughter, was a feat I won't soon forget. I had to remind myself daily, sometimes multiple times, of the pearls of wisdom surrounding detachment and boundaries. More importantly, I had to let go of my anger and frustration toward my husband. This disease is so insidious and all-consuming. Even though my kids are teenagers now, they still feel the weight of it. My son was also home during this time, and I will admit, I asked him to stop by and check in on his dad while I was away. He had to experience the disease again in ways I'd hoped were behind us. Thankfully, he gently insisted on driving when they went places. 
It took a couple of days for my husband to sober up again after I returned, and now we are back to normalish. I wish I didn't have to deal with this anymore, but when I am counting my blessings, I now include the program pieces that have allowed me some sanity and have helped me through some of my worst days one moment at a time. Thank you for your show. I just finished the one where you and your co-host talk about your head being a bad neighborhood and somewhere you shouldn't go alone. So, very true. Happy New Year, D. And thank you, D, for sharing that. And maybe that would be helpful for Madeline, who was wondering about minimizing versus accepting. It sounds like you're solidly into acceptance. Christina writes, I'm fairly new to Al-Anon. I began going to weekly meetings in August 2017, and I'm working on step three. When I found your podcast, I was so happy because I drive a lot for work and listening to episodes daily helps me so much in my recovery. I have so much to learn as this disease is deeply rooted in me. I grew up in an alcoholic home as a child and I'm now the mother of active addicts. So I wanted to tell you all, thank you for all you do. I appreciate you all. Christina from far Northern California. Kelsey says, hi there. I'm a 25-year-old woman from Iowa. I discovered this podcast about a month ago while struggling with my alcoholic father in inpatient treatment and having a boyfriend who has been in recovery for a year. I recognized I needed to also seek recovery. With my busy schedule, I find it hard to go to in-person meetings, but this podcast allows me to seek recovery, and the myriad of topics I can choose from makes it more approachable. I just wanted to say thank you for doing this. I found a lot of good insight and have a list going of things I need to work on that I hadn't realized before. I wish you all the best. Kelsey. Thanks, Kelsey. I have an iTunes from Patty Cake titled, Feel Like I'm at a Meeting. I really appreciate listening to the recovery show. I feel like I'm at a local Al-Anon meeting. I especially love when there are older speakers from a few years back because I can really associate with them. But I love the show, and it really helps me maintain my serenity no matter what is happening. Thanks so much. iTunes reviews and ratings do help to make us easier to find by those in need who are seeking recovery. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Susan, Mary, Nancy, and Debbie did. And thank you again, Susan, Mary, Nancy, and Debbie. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening to us, we are here for you. The last song selection for these slogans is First Things First. Maybe that should have been the first one. I don't know. By Crosby, Stills, and Nash, which you can listen to at therecovery.show slash 235. Some lyrics here. First things first, when you can quit living in the past, when you stop worrying about tomorrow, then I think you might just last. I know the price of freedom, getting more than a little high in these angry days of sorrow, we find the meaning of a lie. So I sing about first things first. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. My understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.